a lot of the time we ask the question, why? You know, why am I going through this? What's going on? But when things are good, my prayers are like ritual sometimes. You know what I'm saying? I'm praying because I have to. I'm obliged to. Thank you for giving me life. This is something like I owe. But it's not done with beauty, with uh, uh, what we call khushur, with sincerity, with focus. But when things are bad, man, my conversations with God are like, they're on a different level. And we believe that, you know, like that's what he, how he wants us to communicate. Mm. You seem really nervous, Natan. What's so you, going on? So you're going to be getting up, walking around during the yeah, podcast. Is that what you're telling us? This is odd, Dad. This is weird. What are you doing? You but seem you're nervous. Sitting down and talking to us, aren't you? Yeah. <coughs> oh, he's going to talk. <laughs> so, Robbie, um, I don't know anything about you. <laughs> so it's quite nice to meet you. Uh, Tim uh, said that you. Um, yeah, you do it. Show me um, some clips of the podcast you do, which looks really cool. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What, what can you tell us about yourself? Um, so we're actually starting, yeah? Uh, it's recording. So this is me more just having a chat. Oh, this is just us having a chat. Um, where to start? I've never known that you were the actual chaplain. Uh, yeah. The, the prison chaplain. So I was, I was like coming here to find out, okay. What do you actually, you know, what the title of, of how you work with everyone and how you got into it and, and all that good stuff. That's that's okay. why I wanted to. Okay. Because he's, he's done similar, well, uh, we'll run through all that. We've done similar I've heard, Rick was telling me, I called, that's, I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Rick told me a bit about you. He said you do a lot of good work with the community and you're really well plugged in to the boys and stuff and have been for a long time. And he spoke about you with a lot of respect, actually. Yeah, so... Um, Obviously, know both. Uh, so, they're both, I think, really good people. People that I got on well with, and probably uh, from where we came from, uh, worked the hardest out of anyone I've ever met, and did the most to improve himself. So, I think that you know, he um, really set that standard. But uh, yeah, so sort of, I know, just um, try and give people opportunities and help them reflect on. You know, where they want to go and what they want to achieve, those kind of things. So what is it exactly that you do these days? Uh, so I'm, I'm just a basketball coach. Okay. So Not just. You're a basketball yeah, coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basketball coach. So. And you've been doing that for how long? Fucking thousand years. Wow. You look Coach this guy. This guy's <laughs> like almost 50. He <laughs> <laughs> was almost 50 and he coached him. He coached me too and I'm almost, you know, 22. It's a big gap. He's still been coaching the whole time. Yeah. He looked so, good for a thousand. Thank you, thousand. Uh, oh, yeah, man. so like basketball coach, like I'm, uh, I'm a psychologist. I worked in... Uh, oh, you Michael. are? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so I worked at um, at Waco uh, for three, four years. Where about you um, uh, The prisons. Which ones? Uh, Protecton. You're uh, in Walston. Walston, yeah. Yeah, Walston that would be interesting, eh? Yeah, that was. Yeah, it's an interesting place. Yeah, it was. It was good. Um, you know, challenging, and you know, learn a lot about humanity and, and all those kind of things, which was interesting. Did you find it frustrating working as a psych because there's that there's the culture of like the psych and everyone in through care and all the CLOs like versus the guards, you know, like this, they're, they're not working together. It seems a lot of the time, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think uh, I, I, I was good friends with, I'd say most of the guards. 
That's, so, that's helpful. Yeah, so for me it wasn't, um, I wasn't like separate, I guess, across the board. I used to, you know, we used to do boxing with the guard. I used to do boxing with the guards off off site. Like we used yeah. to, you know, hang out a lot. You know, so I was really good friends with all the guards, and then also the um, yeah, the administration as well. So I was lucky enough to be able to go across, yeah, the, the different things. So those those relationships that you build in there are uh, yeah crucial to how well you're able to to help the men. You know, it's um it's taken me a long time. Like I've been doing this for six years, seven years. I come in because there was no Muslim chaplaincy at all. Um, I realised this. Um, a few of us approached um, QCS and said, "You know, we're interested in supplying religious material and support and stuff to the to the brothers inside." And they're like, "Well, you know, who are you? Like, Nobody." So they're like, "Well, nope." Yeah. <laughs> um, then there's an organisation called ICQ, the Islamic Council of Queensland, um, who the um, a lot of government recognised as being a leadership body from our community so I approached them said look we're not addressing this need in this place um, there's a lot of new Muslims coming on board there's a lot of old Muslims you know who just need support and stuff and um, let's approach the jails and see if we can get in there um, I never intended to be a religious visitor myself I've got um, a lot of criminal history myself you know at one point in time I stayed in jail for myself, you know, when I was younger. Um, did, sorry, did they? So did did they know that asking you, and was that like something they had to get over? Uh, along the way, yeah. But as I said, my my intention in, in approaching was just, just to set something up to make sure the brothers were being looked after. Um, oh, so you approached them, okay? Yeah, okay. I, I didn't think for a second that they were gonna make me. Um, like give me access to do that. So I just used to, how it started for me, I used to just apply to see guys as a personal visitor one-on-one. Mm. And um, and I started seeing a lot of people like that. And um, But again, on, like, on, on paper, um, you'd never think in a million years that I'd be allowed in there, you know, in the in the role that I have now. Um, I'm surprised. Because um, you ran a muck in there or you was well yeah. known? Well, look, I think, you know, I think there's something bigger than that. You know what I mean? I, I You know, I, I'm a Muslim. I believe in God and I believe that, you know, things happen by God's will. Yeah. And um, I think that door opened and, um, you know, maybe I was the right person at that time to go in. And I hope that I continue to be the right person to help guide these men and give them some direction because um, I love doing it. I love being in there. Like, I want to do it for the rest of my life. Mm. You know, I can relate to these dudes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the story of my life, early life was addiction. I grew up in the U.S., um, started doing drugs when I was 13, single mum, you know, no father, no male role model, uh, no older brothers, you know, to Mm. look to, so you just sort of do what the people around you are doing, you know? And um, unfortunately, like, yeah, drugs controlled my life until I was 30. That's when I found Islam and and um, and found a way through it all, you know. Um, so I, I feel for a lot of these guys, you know. I've got empathy for people, especially the older I get, for victims of crime, you know. And that's something I want to explore more now is connecting with people and, and understanding how they feel, you know. Um, but I haven't really experienced that side of it myself. For me, I was the perp, you know. I was I was the crim. Um, so I can empathise with what leads up to making those choices and what that life really looks like. Mm. Um, so I feel like the skill set that I've got because of the mistakes I made 
enables me to reach out to these men and, and say, look, I know how you're feeling and I know you probably w- want to be better than this and more than this and just instilling hope in them that they can do something different. Because I think, you know, there's most people can dream and want to do something bigger and better, but um, if you've only known one way of doing things for so long, it's, yeah, it's you don't really have hope in yourself or belief in yourself that you're able to do that. Yeah, you know? yeah. A lot of... Uh by the way, welcome back to the Surgeons Podcast. We've got Robbie Hustler. Oh, yeah, hi. And we've got Jared back. Um, a lot of a lot of people end up finding Islam in there. Heaps, like, I don't, Yeah, yeah. What, Heaps. Like, so is many it, is people. It's is it, is a part of it because there's already a strong community in there that's already uh, converted to Islam and, and there's that influence? Or is it just like a most people feeling lost in there like how the hell did i get in here i need to pray to someone like, look i think there's a lot of layers to it you know and and i think you know um people's path to guidance you know is is can be very different you know um it can take a bit, very particular moment in a person's life for them to re- realize and believe in something bigger than themselves and then they need to go out and explore what that could be mm. you know and there's a whole bunch of different religions which all claim that they are correct and mm. that you have to follow this particular way to get to a good place and have a good ending so mm. um i think now more than ever people have an understanding of what islam really is and mm. more access to information about it mm. whereas previously they didn't you know and it was through a lot of negative things, you know, 9-11, um, uh, you know, things going on in Syria and overseas that piqued a lot of people's interest and not necessarily in a good way, but, the, you know, Islam was being de- demonized and people were like, what is this horrible thing? And so they started to read about it just out of curiosity or mm. um, uh, thinking negative things and, in fact, found, found it to be something different. Um, so, yeah, but again, there's layers. I mean, you know, there's an aspect of brotherhood yeah. within Islam and we do see people come on, come in um, probably looking more for that than anything else. But if that's your reason for becoming Muslim, you'll quickly come in and come out, you know, because it's, it's um, a disciplined, strict way of living. You've got to pray five times a day. You've got to get up at four o'clock in the morning and pray. Like, mm. if your reason for doing it isn't heartfelt and sincere and you're not, seeking out a real relationship with your creator and you don't believe 100% in 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 the faith, you're not going to drag your ass out of bed at four o'clock in the morning for anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, When, when was your first feeling or encounter that, okay, I want to explore this or, or, or were you... Yeah, like how did that... Look, I was raised Catholic. I was going to, raised going to church. My mum was a spiritual woman, but I never held on to any particular doctrine of theology you know uh, we go to whatever church was within driving distance from our house and we moved around a lot you know yeah, yeah. my mum's thing was always to pray but as soon as I was I was old enough to make my own decisions I didn't want nothing to do with it yeah yeah um I had a lot of opinions about religion which I realized now looking back weren't based on anything other than my thoughts and feelings about things that I had absolutely no knowledge about I could sit there and critique the Bible and say why well, I thought it was wrong and everything like that, but I never actually read it. Mm. Um, so I was just one of those people. Mm. Um, but, you know, my, I got so low in life that I just, I mean, I was in a real dark place for a really long time. And I'd given up hope on myself, on ever doing anything different. Um, 
But along the way, I'd met Muslims, and it was their conduct. That it was the way the brothers acted, and I knew they lived clean. They didn't drink. They didn't do drugs. Um, there was nothing strange about the way they acted or practiced their faith. They never preached to me about their faith. They were just very um, open to me. But the way that they conducted themselves planted a seed in me. Mm. Um, so I would say it was when I came into Islam, it was it was based on a feeling that I had from being around the people, not so much on the understanding of the actual religion itself. What's kept me Muslim for the last 11 years is the fact that I've studied it. I learned to read Arabic. I've read the Quran, you know, from front to back many, many, many times. I've studied it and that's what I believe it to be what it claims to be. And therefore I, I continue living according to it. Um, but uh, yeah, it changed my life, man. Mm. Like massively, massively. But for me, I mean, it's again, being raised in church, I had no actual belief in God. It was... For me, it was a moment, I was living down the Gold Coast, running amok doing my thing. I was taking my dog for a walk, and um, this was at Southport, and I, we went for a long walk, and the clouds were thick that day, you know, like like lightning in the sky, like black, black clouds, you know, and mm. I'm looking at the dog, I'm thinking, we're going to get soaked, you know, and um, anyway, so we started walking home, and I'm walking, I'm waiting for it to come down, we walked all the way home, walked up the steps and took one step under the front porch and as soon as I stepped under the porch, the skies just opened up and it dumped down and I didn't get a drop of water on me. And for me, that was a moment when it clicked and I realised that there was something that was showing me something. I believed in God for myself, for my deep inside myself in that moment. I realised there was something that had been looking out for me this whole time. Mm. You know, mm. and it, mm. so that's where the actual. Did you ever look back came. and like, damn, that situation was crazy? If you had a crazy life up until then, you have times where you look back and like, damn, that situation or that situation. Oh fuck, I couldn't. This here, this could have happened here. Yeah, look, a hundred percent. I mean, you know, I don't know how. You know, I don't know how I didn't overdose or, you know, um, yeah. No, I think I was. Well, I don't think I was protected, and you know, I. I I I thank God for that. I also thank my mother for that. I believe that her prayers um, were being answered, and I believe that her prayers were were one of the reasons that I was probably helped and guided. Um, I mean, the lifestyle I was living, you know, as an addict, as a crystal meth addict, you know, it's a crazy thing for a family to go through. You know, like uh, my mum wouldn't sleep, you know, and like she'd she'd write she just pray in her own way and all she knew to do then was she'd write down prayers on a piece of paper and and put it next to her bed and she'd have a candle burning all night and it'd be underneath a candle you know asking for my protection and my help and and um I feel like it was like a mercy from the creator to her to save me from from myself and from mm. that life I was living you know like the day I became Muslim was the day my mom got her son back you know mm. um she became Muslim too mm. Not for you, I, for her, I, for herself. No, nah, I, I asked to look it. into it. Yeah, I said, yeah. "Look, I love you, and I've asked you a lot. I put you through a lot. Um, uh, at the end of the day, like, I think I've found the right way to get to heaven, and I want you to be there. So I just want you to look into this, you know." Mm. So she said, "All right, son, I'll look into it, you know." And she did her own studies and everything, and she came to me about a month later. She said, "I want to do this, you know. I believe this," and um, 
yeah, and now she's, man, yeah, she doesn't miss a prayer five times a day. Like, it didn't require her to change her life. She was always, she was living in accordance with the Islamic way of life anyway. She was a good person, doesn't steal, doesn't drink, doesn't get intoxicated, doesn't uh, oppress people, hurt people. It didn't require her to change. It just formalized, I guess, how to worship. Mm. You know, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh. Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, for the boys in jail, it's like, look, to me, Islam just made sense over everything else. It, it, it made sense, which is is that we're accountable for the lives we live. That at the end of my life, I'll be judged according to the life that I live. And that's fair. You know, it's scary when... As someone's always watching. Yeah. That, that the... the, the, the that the, the the feeling the knowing hey someone's always watching a hundred percent it just it Try just makes right sense thing. i i i didn't believe at any point in my time i no disrespect to anyone that does but you know you've got to study and you've got to you've got to follow what you really genuinely believe to be true and i didn't believe that in the idea of a sacrifice so that all people can just walk into heaven you know what's the point in doing anything good if if everyone just goes to the same Ooh. place yeah yeah you know it makes sense if i live a miserable life i hurt people i do bad things and you know, and I don't try and correct myself that I'm not going to have a good ending. You know, as someone who stood in front of a judge in court many, many times, as much as, as I didn't like being there, it um, it was fair. Yeah. You know, so I think to be stand for for the ending to suit the the lifestyle is fair. You know what I'm saying? That makes sense. Um, Do good, be good, be better. You know, make. Uh, Make your best efforts to fix yourself, and if you've wronged people, fix that relationship. You know, if you've wronged yourself, sort that out. You know, change, do good, be good. I think that message is so uh, misconstrued, like it's specific to religions. Because mm. I think if people who say they've studied most of religions, that that center, that way of living, that those. Those instructions to be good, to to do everything with love, is in it's in Christianity, it's in Buddhism, mm-hmm. it's in Islam, mm-hmm. but yet we still <laughs> all have these arguments, like uh, like like the one thing isn't just love, <laughs> and like does that does that make sense at all? Like yeah, it makes sense. You know? I know, brother. He wanted to talk about love tonight. He dropped the word. If you hadn't just said anything, you wouldn't have put it in his love. <laughs> Jay, tell us about love, bro. Yeah, lit up. What's that mean? Hey, bro. I've not asked. Was your experience with religion? Is is that a that a, that a thing coming up? Well, I mean, so for me, probably not. Certainly not the most religious person. I did go to. Like Padua is religious school. You went to oh, Padua? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I went to Padua. It's a good school. Um, so, yeah, I love the school. Um, but I wasn't baptized. So yeah. I attended all the events and stuff like that. And I, I enjoyed Padua because they didn't, it was a part of the curriculum, but it wasn't, mm. I didn't feel like it was, oh, you're not baptized. So mm. you're wrong for it. Um, and then I guess just, you know, interestingly enough, like then ended up at the University of Notre Dame, which is. Catholic University. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but, but you're in the science department, so, like, surprise, <laughs> surprise, not a lot of huge, not yeah. a big religious push, but yeah, yeah. 
I'm probably one of those people that like, uh, like probably Christian is yeah. a good term to use. And then, you know, occasionally attends church. Mm-hmm. Um, but hasn't been a massive part of my life. But I don't know. It's not something that I'm closed down to. It's just something that hasn't yet really uh, that I've needed necessarily. But it's you always moved with with love intent, like like with good intent with people. You feel like you just never needed it. To yeah. Oh, so that's you know that's a really good point because like I think like the underlying message of you know, I've been at fortunate enough to meet different people from different religions. And like, it was cool when I was in Detroit, Detroit has a large Islamic community. Okay. Well, not Detroit specifically, it's Dearborn. It's a city just outside of Detroit. So it's uh, a really large. Like a Toowoomba. Sure. You're going to, you're, you're educating me. One of my colleagues. <laughs> I think it's close by, but it's not. Really oh, okay. Well, no. So relative to Detroit, it's probably like saying, it's probably like where we are now. Like ah, relative okay. to Brisbane. Oh, okay, so, okay, okay. you know, like just south side. Sorry to. <laughs> <laughs> How long were you there for? Is that where you were? You, were you born here, born there? I was born here. And then I was in America from like 19, 18 to 34. Okay. So, yeah. So now I'm 35. So I've only been back Australia for a year. Okay. Um, but when I was in Detroit, I was specifically Detroit because I was in the US from 18 to 34. So I was specifically in Detroit for seven years. Yeah. Seven years. So, and the cool thing for me was like, like I got to work with a colleague who was uh, a practicing, you know, Muslim. And I was in the legal field. So everything's like lunch. Blah blah blah, and so we, the first time I met this person, like we're both starting off at the bottom, mm-hmm. and we're going to meet these people, but it was Ramadan, ah. <laughs> so everyone wants to go out to lunch. Yeah, 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 easy. yeah, and this person's going out to lunch. The best part is like they just, there's no like judgment from them, like they just participate. Hey, I'm not, I'm not eating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, and so like I felt that was cool because I'm like. So then, you know, like I'm, I'm working with this person. You got you like you're curious, right? So how does this work? And so I felt like for me growing up with the Christian background, but then learning more about that person. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so like, again, it's like accountability, like actions, all of these things. Like that, I resonate with that underlying those underlying principles. I yeah. probably just if you if I haven't found where I fit in amongst it all. You haven't but, chosen a title to go with. Oh, but I yeah, but I certainly, um, yeah, I think it's, it is cool to see that, you know, cause again, it's, I, you know, I didn't, I was pretty naive to it. Mm. And that's, so I'm like 27, 28 before I'm even starting. Like, so you ask, yeah, it's yeah. like, I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm, I remember saying like, I don't want to sound like an idiot. Yeah. Or, yeah, or yeah. Even, like, yeah. But, but why are you doing that? Yeah. What, like it, that just, just walk me through this and like, um, I, I was really lucky to have that kind of colleague who wasn't, they weren't judging. They were just like, oh, yeah, let me, yeah. I'm happy to share my experience, blah, blah, blah. So it was, it was, it was good. And I just learned like, you know, you talk about that 9-11 and, and all of these mm-hmm. major landmark, landmark times in history. And it's like, it's the individual, right? Like it always comes back to the individual and how they're choosing to live their life. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that's but I but I haven't put a title to it. So, mm. so. Mm. 
But you did end up learning a bit more through through your colleague. Oh, hundred like, yeah, percent. You're curious. Yeah, you I know you ask a lot. Of yeah, questions. like you just it's like yeah, you gotta yeah. ask. Like you know, like so you don't eat like at all, and then and you know they're going to pray five times a day. So like I'm, well, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. like and strict regime, and so all these things, and like I guess it was cool for me to see someone fitting into an environment where and having a workplace that was very flexible for it where like this person is just like all of a sudden it becomes commonplace and i think that's cool when the more people you have different coming together interacting it just becomes normal mm -hmm. for people from all over the place to be like, oh yeah that's cool so mm. this person's going to lunch every day but they're not eating yeah and everyone's but cool it's not you know it's not, it's not, not this weird anymore, thing yeah. that, you know they're still yeah. talking and engaged yeah participating in the lunch they're just not eating food and that's the way it should be, right? Like that's the way it should it's be. Cheap date, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My shout. <laughs> Nothing for everyone. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I was in Egypt. Uh, I, 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 what were you I, doing in Egypt? We lived there for two years uh, before coming to Australia. Yeah. Like a, a, a big Sudanese community went there. So you how old? I'm 27 now. How old were you in Egypt? I was six and seven. Okay, yeah. Six and seven, so... I'm tripping. Sorry, this was before Egypt. This was in in Khartoum. Khartoum was maybe two years earlier. Khartoum is a, is capital city of Sudan. Now, uh, we stayed there for a few months. And I remember I was a very curious kid. I'd leave the house and go on walks, and I walked into the mosque while they were in mid prayer. I'm like, it's, it's awfully quiet in here. <laughs> like, oh, they're not noticing me. <laughs> and I took. I took the the hat, excuse me, I don't know what it's called uh, in, in in English. Um, the prayer cat, the kufi. Yeah, the yeah. kufi, and uh, I took it home. I took someone's. <laughs> I'm so sorry for that Walked guy. Walked in and robbed the place. Yeah, it took it, <laughs> man. <laughs> 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 took it home, and uh, my family was not happy. Maybe I know because I stole, or because that wasn't <coughs> that wasn't our our you know we grew up Catholic. My mom's a big Catholic, um, so I went home and I remember it got in got in big trouble for for stealing that and taking it home. That's my early early religious experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, KB, did you uh with all the people you met and the inmates you had to talk to and and all that? Did they mention religion a lot? Was was that a big a common theme? No, not really. It wasn't not really. really. Yeah. Not not in the role I was in. We had pastors and stuff, but not um, yeah, religion wasn't a big factor. Yeah. When were you there? How long ago did you leave? Uh, yeah, twenty years. Okay, you see it now that that center that you're talking about is one of the biggest Muslim populations out of all the jails. Yeah, well, but the guards. Uh, I'll say the guards. Yeah, the guards in general, like, uh, very very much opposed to it. Um, but I feel like it's you know how you know how the boys carry on inside you know and I, I blame us more than anything because you want to you want to play the Muslim card or the religious card when it suits you I want a prayer mat I want this give me halal food but then you're still shooting up drugs and supplying drugs you're doing all the same things you want these people to respect your religion but you don't respect it yourself you know what I mean? And the guys are just like, hey, you're a joke. You want me to take you seriously? And that's fair enough, you know? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, like I think when you're in jail and you've got so many um, 
so many people who are so good at finding loopholes to get whatever they can get. Yes. And it's a constant game of uh, manipulation. And you're an officer and you're seeing that all the time. And then, you know, is this religion just another th- part of that? And it yeah. feels like it if, as you said, like they get A, B, C, D and we we're, we're, we have to provide that because that's mandated because that's their, their religion. But then we also know that they're doing these other things that they shouldn't be doing. So, you know, it, it, it definitely, I think it'd be, you know, a, a kind of a rational stance to think to yourself, hey, you're not really into this because yeah. uh, really you're doing it when it suits you. But as you said, I also know you're into all this other stuff that that religion doesn't support. So I think it's difficult because, again, it's all about manipulation and, and power uh, in, in jails. And, and um, yeah, I think that if, like, everyone in jail, I guess, was, you know, strictly Muslim, you know what I mean? And, and they, they, they were disciplined, they did all those things, and there was no drugs and all those things. We got a different jail system. Hundred yeah, hundred percent. So you know, saying that you're Muslim is one thing; living strictly that way is um, is a totally different thing. So it, it is. It's a, yeah, it's a whole different story. I mean, the thing is, like, see, like jails in Sydney and Melbourne, things are different. You know, like first of all, here in Queensland, they separate the Muslims. So if you get you get a group of guys converted in a unit, they start praying together. Generally speaking, the different centers will separate them as quickly as they can. They don't like the boys coming together and praying together and and whatnot. Um, whereas in Sydney, uh, certainly I, th- I think Victoria, but I know for sure in Sydney, they'll they'll put all the Muslims in like one or two units. Now the thing, what Sydney has is you got a lot of guys who are doing who are doing life sentences, who have whose knowledge of the of Islam is very good, you know, like their scholar status. Um, so there's and and having them all live together, there's an Islamic environment for the men to understand what it really looks like. Whereas up here where everyone keeps getting moved around and 85 or 90% of the Muslims in jail converted inside, they've never been to a mosque. They don't know what Islam is supposed to look like. They see what it says on paper. They hear me yelling at them once a week or whatever. But to actually experience it and, and, and know what it feels like, they, they haven't had that experience yet. So I feel sad for them that they're, they're sort of aiming towards something that they haven't, don't really comprehend properly yet, you know? Yeah, they don't, it's not it's not in their bones yet. It's not part of their yeah. you know, DNA because they haven't experienced the full, you know, um, I guess, um, you know, spectrum of what what being engulfed, um, you know, um, and embodying it, embodying a religion rather than just studying it is, and 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 that makes sense. And and I think um, again, historically, groups of people finding ways to get together to have conversations in prison. Uh, leads to bad things. Hundred thousand percent. And so, um, again, there's going to be people out there that that manipulate the system to try to get what they want by believing in something. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be the people in there, um, and you'd hope as many people as possible who actually want to commit their lives and and start to embody, you know, the the beliefs of um, Islam because of its, you know, the nature that of it actually is. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that's what you always hope for. Um, but you know, in our in our society, unfortunately, um, we usually reduce it down to the the lowest point, and that's always going to be the people that do the wrong thing. Yeah, uh, and therefore we forget that ninety nine percent of people are actually doing the right thing. Yeah, true. And um, and and that's actually where I feel our system struggles the most is that we always cater for those, you know, literally it's five percent of the population that aren't doing the the right thing by everybody, and we make sure they're 
sorted. And the other ninety five percent kind of lose that um, autonomy or lose that. Hey, look, you guys are doing the right thing. We'll invest in you because mm. that's your tendency. Um, yeah, and I can only imagine it's the same in prison. So look, you know, it's so fr- but the the system in general just frustrates me. You know, immensely, and I'm sure it uh, must have you too. I mean. The men are uh, set up to to fail, and I, like I get it, you've done the wrong thing, you know, you should be punished, and so on and so forth, and that's that's fair. But you know, it's like set up so that you know it's almost impossible to get back into some sort of normal life. You know, like I, I mean, my criminal history is like fifteen years old, but and you know, I mean, I've been doing the chaplaincy, I've been uh, I've founded a group. The, of uh, feeding the homeless, which has been running for ten years. I mean, we've turned into something, then turned into something else. Like a quarter of a million meals have gone out. Um, I work with youth. I talk in schools and all the rest of it. And I still have am treated, um, uh, you know, by different government departments according to who I was on paper fifteen years ago mm. or what I might look like now. Right. You know, you see guys getting out like so to get you know get bail or parole. You've got to have an approved address, right? They're knocking back addresses for guys and community corrections doesn't give a reason why. So let's say I'm in jail, I want to get out, I'm applying for parole and I say, okay, I want to go live at my auntie's house. They go, no, it's not suitable. You go, why? There's no answer. Okay, I want to go live with my friend Rick. No, it's not suitable. Okay, again, no reason why. So you're not, to, you're not, there's no guidance whatsoever as to what I should be doing or where I should be looking or what, you know, what the parameters are. So you, you just literally throwing up addresses and to say yes to one. But, like, they've got these... Oh, I won't say the name of them because I'll probably get into... There's a group of one particular woman that owns um, a heap of halfway houses in and around sort of, like, the suburbs. Now, these halfway houses, if you had were keeping dogs there, the RSPCA would come in and shut them down as being inhumane. Yep. I've gone in and videotaped the conditions that they've got men living in there, like like under stairs sort of type room deal, like just disgusting, sodden ma- mattresses with urine and feces and everything else, just disgusting. And, and, you know, 90% of the people in there, if not more, are using drugs and selling drugs. And so while they can't get an approved address anywhere else, nine times out of ten they'll get approved to go stay at this place. I've had, I've had conversations and communications with, with um, probation and parole saying, look, this guy's been approved to this particular address. He's got history for uh, addiction. If you make him live there, he's going to relapse and reoffend within a couple of weeks. I guarantee it. I have an alternative address available where he can live with a 65-year-old man. He's walking distance from a mosque. Um, the old man also owns a landscaping business. He's prepared to give him a job so that he doesn't have to pay rent. He can work, get money, and that will cover his rent and he's close to community and support. And they knock back that address and send him to the halfway house. Within a week, he's back on the drugs, doing crime. Three weeks later, he's back in jail. And this is the circle. And I, I, I can't understand why something isn't changing here, you know? Um, no, you're right. Like, I mean, that's literally how it works. So, um, and there's no explanation. So it doesn't matter which side of the uh, the system you're in. That's, that's literally how it works. And there's no real plan to... Um, uh, get people out of jail and stay out of jail. 
and and there's no explanation as to why that's the case. You know, mm. we're not really privatized like America, so we can't. We haven't really got. We can't go down that pathway of you know, oh, it's, it's in their interests because prisons are oh, overrun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and it costs so much money. So there's not in anyone's interest for people to be in prison in that sense. It's three hundred bucks a day, roughly, to keep someone in jail. I so, mean, so it's not worth it, right? So there's no reason for the government to get people to go back, but the systems are such that um, essentially. Once you're in there, that's that's what you're going to do until you fully decide that no, I'm going to never go back again. Mm. And um, you know, and, and that's usually people who get you know, who've been in there for thirty years and they just sort of had enough. They're like, mm. you know what, I'm not going to do that. But yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, and I think that um, it would be good to see if there's a way to. I mean, whatever that inroads that like, that that person has to have those halfway houses, get somebody with a little bit more ethical um you know grounding around helping people out mm. and and um get something set up for for people who actually want to try and stay out yeah um, but i do think as well um as you know in in and i don't know that situation but um again we as humans feel as though when we do somebody a favor or we're, we're trying to help somebody and you get burnt once that that was it you know, I went out of my way. I got burnt once. You know, the person who came out of there did the wrong thing. They're back in. I'm not helping anyone else anymore. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. The, you know, they're all they're all rubbish anyway. So I'm gonna make my money, and if they go back, they go back. Yeah. Uh, because you've invested so much, maybe into one person who then relapsed and went back in, mm. and now you're not looking at the other 99 that that wouldn't do that. Yeah. And I think that um, again, that's really uh, comes down to human nature and and the fact that people who are trying to help um, are doing it from the kindness of their heart, but they're also expecting to change people's worlds and their lives and they want outcomes um, rather than do it unconditionally. Mm. And so I think if you're going to set something up like that, there has to be a, um, a process of support for those helping those people because um, when things don't go right, they're the ones that take it to heart the hardest mm. because, you know, I'm putting, you know, I'm trying to help and you don't appreciate it. So someone has to counsel the counsellors or the people yeah. who are helping. So yeah. to me, there needs to be a um, a much more supportive system <coughs> of those trying to help, those who are trying to reintegrate. And then what do you do on that relapse? Because we know that um, you know recidivism, you know, going back in is is too high. Yeah, seventy um, percent or something. Yeah, yeah, seventy yeah, percent. Or and again, different different things. But you know, it's it's too high. And then again, as I said, if it's that high, those people trying to help are getting burnt 70 percent of the time mm-hmm. and they very quickly forget the 30 percent that they're helping yeah um so how do we help the helpers and how do we make sure that the conditions are the best we can provide even though we know that they that is not going to be enough anyway because people still going to go back yeah um, and that's the hard part is um remaining positive when you keep getting knocked back and and the people who can do that they're extraordinary so Look, they say, you know, it's actually, I think the Bible actually says, you know, that love is long-suffering, and um, I couldn't agree more with that. Love is know. long-suffering. Love is long-suffering. You know? Jeez. And it's, it, it, it does, it boils down to, you know, intention, and it, something I've learned a lot about in Islam is intention. You know, like, you can take the exact same action, but with different intentions, and it can either be, the same action can either be good or bad. Like, let's say I want to go out and feed someone on the street. If my intention is to do something good, to help someone, to be kind, to please our creator, then 
that's a noble thing to do. It's a good thing to do. But if I go out to or feed you get the someone to film you do it. Correct. <laughs> you now it's different. To, hey, take this. <laughs> I give them. That's right. It's no longer it's, <laughs> it's no longer the same thing. It's the same action, but it's a whole different different thing. And like I've realized, I started doing youth work ten years ago with without any intention of ever doing it. Just through being in the community and being very different. Um, to your mainstream Muslim, particularly at that time, there's a lot more people that walk, talk, and look like me um, these days. But at that time, the imams are like, if they had kids off the rails, they're like, they'd tell the mums, oh, I'll ring Robbie, you know, he might know what to do. And I'd go, I'd turn up, you know. And um, I started working with the youth, and because of the life I came through, I kind of thought that you could just stand over them or threaten them or, you know, sort of sort of force them to stop doing things. So you chase them around, you know, put the hard word on them. And, uh, you know, you're nobody to them, you know. Even at 15 years old, they're like, Who, who's this guy, you know? The, yeah. You know, you're a dinosaur. Your name means nothing to me, you know. And um, Most likely they weren't following rules anyway. That's it. And, like, I mean, so and gonna come change that? at best you can t- intimidate them into promising you everything under the sun in that moment. Mm-hmm. But... What I've, it's taken me 10 years to learn is that there's no substitute for genuinely loving and connecting that person and, and letting that young brother know that I'm here for you regardless, whatever makes, mistakes you make, I'm your uncle, I'm your older brother, and I, and, I, and I love you regardless. You know, I want something better for you and I'm here for you. But those words don't mean anything. You've got to be there. You know, you've got to keep checking in on them. And if they get locked up, you don't wipe your hands of them, you know. And that's the thing. It's like it has to be unconditional. So as much as it hurts you when you do love somebody to that extent, and that's something that we've really set up um, at at St. James is where it's unconditional. It doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what you do. You're always welcome back. You know, when you come back, you're just like old friends kind of thing. But again, it's it, if it's not unconditional, people pick that up. The kids pick it up really quickly. Yeah, if you're not sincere, they know yeah, damn well. They know straight away. So they walk back and they see the disappointment or whatever. And as soon as they see that, they're like, well... Yeah, that wasn't true. And, and when it is sincere, they're shocked a little bit, right? Well, yeah, that's right. Because like, wait, what? What is this? Yeah, <laughs> but that's the only chance you have is to you know be unconditional, and maybe that that gives them an opportunity to see that 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 actually exists. Mm. Um, but yeah, when you, I guess when you when you provide that, um, and people make bad decisions anyway, and then you kind of you know um, are judgy. Um, then, you know, again, that, that um, burns that bridge even quicker and even more um, uh, infinitely. Like, there is no coming back from that. Like, whereas mm-hmm. if you're unconditional and you're like, nah, come back, that's cool. You're like, whatever, hey, don't come back, shoot around any time or whatever it, whatever the relationship is, mm-hmm. um, then at least they know that they can come back and they're, they're welcome back. Give them that cheeky smile like, yeah, thank you. Yeah, good to see you. You're back. Yeah, like, mock them a little bit. Do you ever give them a cheeky smile like, like, Damn, you're back in, but hey, I'm still here. It's yeah, sometimes I'll see you kind of, but yeah. like, you know what I mean? Sometimes I'll walk in and we see each other and laugh, you know what I mean? And laugh and <laughs> hug and, you know what I mean? It's it's not funny. It's like, oh, brother, what happened, you know? Yeah. But you know, like you can see it's happening, you know? I, I tell every single one of them, when you get out, here's my phone number. Let's catch up, come to the mosque, come volunteer. Let's do these things. And I just lay out the things that I did that worked for me and have those opportunities available to them. And, you know... I want to say like 98% of them, you know, don't make that phone call when they get out. You know, and the, the only issue with being someone, um, becoming someone that they love and respect is that you become 
one of the first people that they push away when they when they go back to the old ways because they're, they're embarrassed. Yeah. You know, like every like when I used to use, you know, you push your family away, um, you push anyone that that knows you for the promises that you made for the things that you said you were going to do or who who knew you in a better when you're in a better place. You, you don't want to see the true your who you've, who you've become in the reflection of their eyes. You know what I mean? Um, that's painful, and I, I don't know what the answer to that is because I mean I, I'm the like if I relapse, God forbid, you know it's, I've been clean ten years, but if I relapsed, I'm telling you right now, I, I couldn't face any of the people that I love. I, I I couldn't do it. Yeah, and I think well, that's what I'm saying. Like it has to be unconditional. Yeah. Because you're right. Like it's but it's not based on uh, yourself. It's based upon them judging themselves. You know because they've they've gone to a, something they may have thought they wouldn't go back to or and then all of a sudden they're back there but now they're judging that as negative so and that that self-judgment makes it incredibly difficult anyway because you know they're there for a reason it's supportive it's it's um you know that's their family that's whatever it is there's a reason that they're going back but to judge that on top you know that breeds guilt anger resentment now they're avoiding as you said all the positive things um positive social things that they could involve themselves in, and so now they're isolating themselves into, you know, the very thing that's going to end them up back in jail. And then you start again, and then again it's unconditional. And then it starts again, and then, you know, that could go 20, 30 years, 40 years. Mm. At some point, they go, you know what, like, I've just had enough. Had of this. And, and um, that was really my experience in prison, was that the guys that, um, that didn't go back in had just had enough. Mm. They were just like, yeah, I'm going to come back in. Like, it doesn't matter what courses they did. It didn't matter how many times, like, you met people and they were, and then they were always good people. They just, they just ended up back in prison. But they, they just said, like, yeah, I'm not coming back in. It's like, oh, you know, why? What? <laughs> I just had enough. Been here 35 years, like, you know, since I was, you know, 12. Um, on and off. I've, I've, I've had enough. I don't want to go back. So I'm not. And I was like, that's really interesting. Yeah. You know, like, like, no one can ever change a person the person has to yeah. want to be you know different a- yeah. a- and that happens almost spontaneously yeah. like it's um yeah it's i'd say it's spontaneous it just happens you know that that the big call to the old way of life though is you know every every human being intrinsically has this you know you want to belong you know and and you know a lot of these boys you know i mean covered in face tats you got handguns tattooed all over the face and things like that and as much as they might want to, you know, fit into something better and do something better, they still see themselves in the mirror every single day, you know, and they don't feel like there's a place for them in a community of good people who do good things because they're just, you know, they're still wearing that uniform, you know, um, and that's hard. And I, I know that I see that as a big barrier, as a stopping point for a lot of these boys where they just, they want to be better, but they don't feel like they're deserving. They don't f- like, look at me, you know. I said the same thing to my mum once. I was like, because I used to have more face tats, like oh, my, my forehead, my eyebrows and all that were done. I've had them burned off. But I said, like, I just broke down. I was crying. I was like, mum, like, I just realised. I said, look look at me. Look what I've done to myself. You know, I was like, look what I, look, look what I did, you know, and I couldn't just take it off, you know. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. You know, I said to the boys, like, what worked for me, you know, like any time I'd see – Someone, when I'd walk into a mosque and people were looking, and they are, because you've got people from the subcontinent all over the world, never seen anyone like you in the mosque before. 
that's an opportunity. I'll smile, I'll go over and salam alaikum, shake their hand, give them a hug. I'll do that with every single person until I know two-thirds of the community and they know me. So you, you've, you've got to be on the front foot of, of putting yourself out there and change and, and use, that op- use every opportunity you can to, to take advantage of that, you know? Like, people are interested. It doesn't mean they're scared. They're just, oh, they're not too sure, too yeah, sure what to make you, you know? It's different, yeah, it's just different. You know? <laughs> Damn, I, I, that's, that's you, talking about people going in and out. That's what I assume it is. I assume it's uh, it, they want to be in because it's easier in there. Uh, or being out here, I'm sure you feel like a fish out of water if, if you felt like, mm. damn, look at me. And then I'm out here with all these, uh, you know, in, in civil society or whatever the hell they call it, the regular society. I'm sure a lot of guys are like, they want to go back in or, or well, let they me commit they, well, they just don't fit. So you, don't you go fit, into yeah. society. And you have to work. Society, this, yeah, I've got to get a regular job. I've got to do this. Shit, yeah. what everyone's telling me to do. I've never fit into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's no other options for me. Yeah. So it's easier for me and I feel more comfortable doing these things yeah. that society doesn't, that society frowns on. And the result is, um, you know, prison sentences. Yeah. But I prefer to feel comfortable doing those things and feeling uncomfortable yeah. at, at the risk of, um, you know, being judging myself or whatever it is you do to yourself, like, yeah, you know, yeah. in those situations. So I'll just yeah. do what I'm comfortable. I can deal with that. I can deal with prison. I'm not going to deal with vulnerability. Yeah. I'm not going to deal with yeah, being yeah. open. You That's know? it. So, But what's the alternative? You know, because it's, it's, it's not like everyone just had these normal lives that, you know, we – we kind of take for granted that people have had similar lives to us, similar opportunities. You know, I mean, uh, there's third generation drug addicts, you know, like I, I literally know people in the system whose grandfathers were amphetamine cooks who brought their sons and daughters into the business, into the addiction. Um, it became a full-time thing for them. Then they had kids of their own. They've never known anything different. They've never known... this. This... You selling the idea of being a good life and a wholesome person and working and doing it. so okay, that's it's it's stories. It's it, stories it, to it, them. And you have no concept. Like no people, idea. People, what people have that people have no concept of what that's like. And you can't imagine it because that's all you've known. Hundred. And 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 the people like like I don't know what that's like. I have no concept. The difference is, is I'm like, I've got no concept. So therefore, you know, all I can do is walk with you. If you want to, you know, explore some other options and see if I can help you with that. Oh, you saying you as the helper? Well, I'm just saying, like, oh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. like people go, okay, I can fix that. Uh, you yeah. can't fix that. But like, you don't you know what. No yeah, you have no what idea what. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And, and they know that, and I know that. And there's a separation. Why? Because if you're a third generation, you know, amphetamine cook, or you know, like whatever it is, like crim, like some sort of criminal activity, which is what they are. There's just three, four, five generations, and there's pl- place in Brisbane where it's just families. Of you know people who have all been to jail and and that's what you do you go to jail, mm-hmm. um, and, and until you go to jail you don't really know your place, um, so that's just what you do now to step out of that, you know to go to school to get good grades like I worked um, before I, I worked in the prisons I worked in towns and we, we were working with this um, basically the uh, behavior management group and it was the, the the five kids in the education department that had been expelled from three schools and um, already. And they, they had one more. We were the last chance they got. We were trying to integrate them back into school, and they got expelled because obviously had to be back then fifteen. 
you have to go to school. So if they get expelled from our school, which is five kids, then um, they were out of the system. You know, that was the last chance kind of thing. And, um, you know, when you're talking to those kids, those kids, their parents also don't understand any different. And so they're reinforcing that. So, we're, you know, we're doing um, you know, maths and English and these things with these kids who go home to their parents who never finished high school, been, been in jail, whose grandparents have been in jail, who, you know, have all of that. And, and these kids, it doesn't matter what you do because... They sometimes at school they might appreciate maths and English and they just like the attention and the fact that you're spending time with them. They go home and they show their parents, "Hey, look what I did in maths." The, the, the parents are just, you know, disgusted that they would waste their time on something like that. And all of a sudden, they're emotionally hurt because they're like, they came home proud because their teachers were happy and they're like, "Hey, look, I, look what I did today at school." And the, the parents are like, you know, get rid of that. Like, go do something else. And now that kid's like, ah. Oh. You know, what am I going to do? do and, do? and they're going to do what everyone else does. And <coughs> that's, that's, that's who they become. And I just think breaking, it's not breaking that cycle. It's, it's, I don't really know what to, how did, I have no idea. I don't think there's any solutions. I think that providing opportunity, providing unconditional love, providing walking with people saying, Hey, look, if you ever want to get out of this, we can help you is all you can really do. Mm. Um, Cause they got made that decision themselves at some point. Um, but this is what we're facing at the moment, right? Like, no one has any answers to any of this. At so, all. At so all. We just, so we perpetuate the system because yeah. that's an answer. Well, the answer's too hard. Like, it's hard. It's a hard kind, answer, kind of, yeah. So, like, so, and there's probably a million different answers. But I'm curious, because we've been talking about this sort of recidivism and this idea and, and the differences between the Brisbane system and Sydney system. So I'm just curious because, like, any any time, and I, I didn't have any life challenges. Luckily, mine were like academic or something like that. But any time I'm in, a, it was in a situation where I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to experience someone who's good at what I want to be good at. Right, trying to be around it. And you were talking about we split up the practicing Muslims in the in the jails. So, and part of Islam is the community aspect of it, and people are being deprived of that experience. And so I get it's a long wind up, but I guess is there any kind of study or anything where they've been able to look at maybe the and success and failure isn't really the right thing because it's a non it's not a linear path like everyone's on their own journey mm. to to overcome the challenges in front of them. But do is there a do um, Muslims in the Sydney prison system do they have a better rate? than say Brisbane and maybe we can link it to that like has, has anyone ever looked at that I guess that has that question been asked like there's differences do the differences change results I guess like that's not a bad starting point just me and again <laughs> I'm looking at purely analytical it's a great question it, and I I haven't heard of of um, any such st studies being done which by no means is any indication that it hasn't <laughs> that said um, from my experience as a Muslim in this country, um, the last thing in the world the government would want to do is, you know, conduct studies around and or publish research that suggests that, you know, becoming Muslim is somehow a good sure, thing yeah. for criminals to do. You know, like, there was, um, is that movie, I think it's called The Heist or whatever, it's Ben Affleck, where he's like bank robber, he's, when he lives in Boston, he's from Boston and he, him and his him and his mates they rob banks and 
there was a scene in it where the police are talking about going after these guys and they're like, um, you know, we need surveillance someone all the time. And one of the one of the cops says, the only way we're going to get a 24-hour surveillance warrant on these guys is if, if one of them converts to Islam. You know, and it's it's like, I kind of laugh when I see it, but it's funny, but it's not because that's how it is. You know what I mean? Like, um, when you're... People converting to Islam or automatically you becoming Muslim, now you're of interest to certain um, authorities. You know, I, I didn't know who ASIO was. You know, like we got this, like like the Secret Service, like the CIA or whatever in Australia, ASIO. I didn't know anything about all that stuff. Um, I learned a lot about him in the last 10 years as being an ex-crim <laughs> converted to Islam. All of a sudden, you're like this threat. And all of a like you come back through the airport and like... Lucky me, every single time I travel and come back, I happen to get, like, one of the counter-terrorists. Randomly selected. I get randomly selected. <laughs> every time. And they're, like, you know, they're nice, but they're so casual. And they're like, oh, okay. Oh, so are you Muslim? Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. I'm thinking, oh, so what? Like, what? you didn't know that. And, uh, you know, oh, okay. So what mosque, mosque, what mosque do you go to? Why? Are, are you familiar with the mosque around the area? Are you Muslim? Like... You know, um, ask me about my trip. Ask me about where I came from and who, where I went and what They're I curious. saw. And They're just curious. My reason for traveling. But uh, <laughs> what business is my religion and how I practice it, where I practice it to you? You know, what What are you? Where do you, you, do you go to church? Which one? You know, it's none of your business. You know, like it's unrelated to this. But all of a sudden there's all these questions. They start asking you questions, you know, like I've literally just come back from a holiday from Bali and you're asking me, oh, what's the difference between Sunni and Shia? Brother, what do I look like? A, a scholar? I, I don't know. You watch the, the... Oh, what's all this stuff? ISIS. Brother, you watch the same news that I do. I don't know. It's like people think that Muslims have this like underground network of information where we really know what's really going on. You know, and, oh, this, this, is the, this is the actual deal with that. But in fact, brother, I've, I'm, I live in Brisbane. I don't know. You know? Absolutely. And I think that... And that's, that's what's been propagated in the media. Mm. You know, and, and, and that's... Unfortunately, people aren't free thinkers and they don't look at it critically because unless, obviously, if there were cells and all those things, they're insular. They're, they're, they're not telling everybody, you know, with good hearts and because those cells, um, you know, aren't, aren't practicing love and aren't practicing, you know, yeah. kindness. Like, like, so there's going to be people who are like, hey, look, that's too much. I need to report that. So the cells have to be completely isolated amongst themselves. So it doesn't make sense to ask, you know, regular people, you know, hey, look, do you know anything about this? Of course I don't. Why? Because I have no intention to ever engage in that kind yeah. of activity. You know, and if I did, right, I would not be telling you. <laughs> like, it's, I mean, it's, how, many, how, how many terrorist attacks have there been in Australia? Like, what, like you know what I'm saying? Like, what well, Across we, the world, like for well, a long time. What have we done here? You know, like... Um, you know, it, it's just an like they talk about cells, and I don't even know what like what is that? Is that two two guys that get together and decide they're going to go blow something up? Apparently, and you know, so far there hasn't been one successful one here. I mean, if you yeah. know, there all must be t terrible planners or yeah, whatever. Yeah, but yeah. you know, like I know a Not lot as good as those guys in two thousand and one, bro. Yeah. You know, I mean, good. but yeah, these are some. Look, I went through. You know, the bookshop raids that happened in Brisbane about eight years ago. Bookshop yeah. raids. Yeah, there was like. Big counterterrorism raids focused around a bookshop in Underwood yeah. about eight years ago. I know, I remember that. Yeah. Remember about yeah, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I got made the face of a lot of that. You know, lucky me. So, um, 
I used to go to the bookshop and hang out, and I know the brothers very well. Um, and um, so it turns out, like, this bookshop had been under surveillance. There was, like, 9,000 hours of recorded surveillance, and I'm talking about, like, agents in bushes, undercover agents. We had a, we had a, uh, a dude come up, um, like, about our age, you know, looked the same, you know, interested in gym, all that stuff talking about how his dad was Egyptian, but he wanted to become Muslim. We're like, yeah, no worries, brother. You know, he took his shahada, became Muslim, hanging out with us, all this. Turns out he's an undercover um, federal agent. All this stuff, like TV stuff, right? It's unbelievable. And where I came into it, they put me on the news. Like, the boys got arrested for, like, one of them ended up doing five and a half years for sending some money to his brother who was overseas in Syria. Um... And when I say money, I think he got convicted of sending like forty something thousand dollars to his brother, who was like had no food and money over there. And um, you know, this is like a four million dollar investigation. You know, that sur- over forty thousand dollars getting sent. Um, and I was dragged into it a couple of weeks later because about twelve, maybe twelve months prior to that, some of the boys had come up to me and said, "Listen, there's one of the young brothers." Um, He's um his friend stole some money off him. Like his his friend had a few thousand dollars of his use and he, he took it off him and, and he hasn't given it back and that money was for charity, you know? And the people that were talking to me about it, like I know they don't do drugs, they're not crims, like I know they're involved in charity and good things, so I didn't need to ask any more questions. They're like, Can you help get it back? I was like, Yeah, no worries. So I went to go talk to the you know, this person that had taken the money. He wasn't home. His family was there. I spoke to his family. I was like, yo, listen, your son's taking, taking some money. Apparently, they're like, why would anyone trust our money with our son with coin? Like, he's a dickhead, you know? And I was like, look, all these young guys are dickheads. I don't know. I said, I, I'm not really too sure, but um, can we speak to him? I said, there's no threat. It's not like, it's not like that. We just want to just wanna sort it, you know? So she rung her son, and he said, yeah, look, I did take the money. I spent it up. I went and partied. I did the wrong thing. The family end up going, look, we're going to get the money off our son. We're going to pay the money that he's stolen. No worries. So um, I get the money back. It was, man, I don't know if it was five, six, seven grand. It wasn't a lot of money. Um, and I didn't think about it. It was like a good deed. I was, you know, there was, I mean, I, I gave the lady a copy of my, like my driver's license to write down when I, and a receipt for giving the money, you know, like that's how above board, like it all seemed to me. Then, so fast forward eight months or whatever, the boys get arrested, bang, everything's on the news. Now now the federal police come and grab me and go, that, well, they called me up and said, we want to, to come talk to me, talk to us. I said, no, thanks. They said, well, you better get a lawyer. A lawyer calls and she said, you've got to hand yourself in tomorrow. Then they come raid my house. And um, so it turns out that whole episode of me collecting, getting that money back, like that was being filmed with these guys in bushes and everything, right? So what they said was that that money that I got back for, for the young fella, he used or he intended to use that money to fly overseas and, and engage in hostile stuff overseas. And the, th- the charge against me was, it was something that no one gets charged for, was like um, handling money with recklessness to the risk that it could be become or be proceeds of crime under the Foreign Incursions Act. So, they, and it, it carries a two-year charge top. 
drunk and disorderly carries a year. So, like, it's nothing. Like, it's something I would have got a fine out of. But I had no knowledge whatsoever, and it's yet to. It was never confirmed that that was what he was intending to do with the money. And as soon as the lawyer saw it, she said she spoke to DPP prosecutions. Even said, "This is garbage. Like, we got nothing that we can do anything with." But the media smashed me because I got the face tats, everything else. Oh, of course, yeah. they they put me on the front page of the Courier Mail and said banker for terrorism, and the. The media didn't even relay the facts that police had actually charged me for. The media said this guy's been charged with holding money in an account to send to um, Syrian fighters. Like, they just turned it in, like, total slander. And then after that, as the court case went by, they just kept using images of me for the boys' court cases because I'd be walking out of court to support them or whatever, and I just looked the part of the, you know whatever they were trying to sell. So life life sucked for a for a long time there. And it, especially, and it hurt, like I didn't even want to leave the house because I'm not, like, I'm the opposite of a terrorist. Like, uh, man, I just want to help and do good and I've been doing good for so long. And so to have the entire country, you know, looking at me and knowing my name and thinking I'm something, some type of monster, Man, that was like, that was crazy. That was crazy. Imagine being like accused of being like a pedophile or something, you know what I mean? Like, how did it make you feel? It's a similar sort of thing, you know, being accused of being a, a, a terrorist, you know, whatever that is, you know? So. So how'd you get through it? Oh, well, just one step at a time. Well, they dropped the charges. It never even went to court. Like the lawyers, there was never ever any. Yeah, yeah, a, but any I mean like, like there's people who, who hear this story. And they, you know, because this this is not this is not an isolated incident in mm. the sense that there's people out there who may listen, and they're in a situation they've been charged because that suits the police um, at the time. Their name has been um, and their reputation, or they feel their name and reputation has been tainted, mm. um, and they may not be as strong as yourself to be able to get through it and get on the other side. And they're sitting there going, "I don't know what to do. Don't leave the house." You know what choices do I have, and I think that um, this happens more often than what um, than what is presented or what's believed. And I think that sometimes, um, you know, when people attack your reputation and all those things and this image, like like how do you get out of that hole? And I think that's that's a really powerful um, uh, story because to get out of that hole in any situation, you know, you could have made a mistake at something else. You know what I mean? Like like what do you do next? Because that's what's you know, you're still you're here. You're you're still helping people. You still have the love. You still have the the investment in humans, regardless of how you've been treated. And to me, that's the um, I know that's pretty powerful. That's the most powerful thing I think a human can do. So, how can we share that with people with with someone else who may be going through that and say, okay, look, you know, this is what I did. You know, mm. it's possible. Look, yeah, um, yeah, I hear what you're saying. You know, I mean, I, I just. You got two choices. I mean, you could just shut. The, you know, like I was like almost catatonic. You know what I mean? I could. I just lay in there. I couldn't even speak, and I'd go from my house to the mosque and home, and that was it. And even when I go to the mosque, I was like looking at the ground because I felt like people were looking at me, thinking that you know I'm something that I'm not. And but I don't know. I guess you know we believe. I believe, and I understand, and I'm taught that often um, blessings are given to us in the form of calamities, you know, or blessings come disguised as calamities. And um, 
ultimately believers are taught to have faith that there's good in all things uh, and in all hardships and in all trials. Um, so, I mean, I could have gone back on the drugs. I could have run away from the mosque. I could have been afraid to be seen at the mosque. Um, I, you know, this, I could have done all those things, but I guess I just put one foot in front of the other. I had, you know, God supported me with people who knew me really well and who understood that this was just garbage um, and they let me know that they were there for me and to support me um, and I guess it was just one foot in front of the other you know and um, it's not necessarily that uh, it was easy to walk the road that I did out of there but the alternative um, just was no longer an option you know what I mean yeah no, I think that's yeah, look, I, you know, the, the, the idea that um, the only time really someone can be judged whether they're courageous is, is in such a time of calamity because that's when you need it. You can talk about it, you can do whatever, but as you say, when you've got two choices, you either go one way, which would potentially, you know, cause you more misery and, and you know, like you sort of let them win or, you know, let that affect you or you go the other way, which, as you said, it's just one step at a time. Which seems, which is all you can do, but taking those steps is where that courage is, and and just being able to do that, um, those small things every day, until that becomes you know, a long enough period, or you move far enough that you can then start to see light at the end of the tunnel. Which, again, is a really simple thing, but when you're in that dark room, taking those small steps yeah. is is seems almost impossible, and I just think that's really important to point out it's simple incredibly difficult to do requires a lot of belief and courage i saw that thing on the this thing from youtube um some motivational speaker dude i can't think of his name and it's a very short story he's quoting um a line there's a children's book called the boy the fox the hare and the mole and there's a scene in the book where a young boy is walking through the dark foggy murky forest with the horse and is becomes frightened because he can't see anything and he says horse I'm I'm scared I I can't see my way through and the horse says to the boy can you see your next step and he said yes he said well then just take that you know and to me that was profound I mean um so I bring everything back to that just what's my next step but that and that's yeah as I said I just wanted to get that out because I think it's really significant that you're able to do that and particularly when it was so massive in the media Right, and it challenged. It was the exact opposite of everything you are. Mm. So that that is so. Ch- and I just wanted to, as I said, bring it out so that anyone who listens understands that no matter where you are, no matter how dark the room is, mm. no matter where you think you know everything, I've lost everything. The only choice you only have two choices, mm. and and the choice that you made, and the choice that um, you know, I guess builds, you know, yourself and your character, and, and you know, is to follow the light, take one step at a time. And then just see where that leads you. Yeah. That's all. I just wanted to. I thought that was really. No, well said. You know that one of the uh, the imam, like the the leader at the mosque, was basically he was giving a talk one night, and he just said, you know, like if you're walking down the road and you fall into a hole, no sane person would just lie in the hole until death overtakes them. Mm-hmm. You know, you do what you needed to do to climb out of that hole and, and keep walking. And you know, um, it's yeah, that's that's what it comes down to. You know. So we're saying keep walking, climb out of the hole. Keep walking. Just keep on walking and then, you know, 
work out where 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 it takes you and there's people around you you'll find your people on that path yeah and maybe that's the only way to find your people is to choose to keep walking yeah yeah that's true look think about the most amazing people in history like i challenge you to think like of anyone remarkable like when i talk about remarkable like someone um, who's known for their depth of character or for for significant things that they've done in the world and contributed to the world? Da Vinci, Leonardo da Vinci. Which one of which one of them? Is there any single one of them who didn't go through extreme hardships and trials and tribulations to become who they became? Look at Nelson Mandela. I mean, look at his character. You know, I mean, what an amazing human being to come through the trial that he did um, with love and understanding. I mean, he could have come out and just Water created a war, yeah, yeah, wiped yeah. out the people that imprisoned him for thirty odd years. But you know, but if he hadn't have gone through that, would he, the way he was, be so remarkable and such an outstanding example for for human beings? You know, yeah. KB, what you, you said something ages ago. I don't want to even talk to anyone who hasn't. Uh, yeah, I forgot the wording. I don't even want to talk to anyone. It would have been really good. Deep. That's all no. I know. Whatever, whatever, whatever I said, it just would have been really good. No, I think what I was saying is that basically I find it now, having gone through a couple of things, like like I find it really difficult to talk to people um, who haven't been through anything because, and I envy them because honestly, if if you haven't been through anything dark. Right, and and the biggest issue you have in your world, which consumes your life, is how many likes you get on Instagram. How many likes you get on Instagram? Broken fingernails. Your friend didn't meet up with you. You know, someone broke. That's cool. Yeah. I love your life. Yeah. You are so blessed, and 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 I and I'm envious in so many ways. And that's the most thing you've gone through. Yeah. Right, and and I don't get jealous or angry or you know like judge it anymore. I just think that's awesome. Um, you're blessed and hopefully your life continues to be blessed Mm. but the people that um, the people who have been through stuff they just know the world a little differently and um, you know they're the people I usually hang out with Mm. because they 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 talk different they they think different they know different uh, their energy is different and that's they're they're the kind of people we relate I relate to people more like that because Mm. I get it. I get that they get what I'm coming from. I can I can have a conversation. They're like, yeah, yeah. Suffering something that unites all people. You know, doesn't matter race, religion, exactly. Regardless, you know, we can relate to you know the feeling of you know suffering definitely unites us. What about you, Jay? What's the most suffering you've ever engaged in? Besides not going to um, to an yeah, Ivy League not going university, to a good school. Besides not going to an Ivy League, besides being uh, average, besides being uh, <laughs> <laughs> besides being an average scholar, second in your class, being an average academic, besides yeah. being an average. Yeah, no, I think um, for me, like there's a there's different moments that like snap you out of whatever your whatever routine you're in, where you realize like how little control you have over so much going on so like when when i was so my wife and i have one son but we you know my wife had a miscarriage the second one and i was you know i was there we went to the doctor and um you know they do the scan They're like i'm sorry you know, that's what they say and they hit you and you're just like got a good job you know everything's going well 
and you just work like for me it's just like i just work through things right i just work harder or i'll just do something you're just trying to overcome and then you get hit with that you're just like nothing there's nothing i can do there's literally nothing i can do i remember telling this doctor like been practicing for 30 40 years i'm like just take another look like i think you're probably wrong (laughs) surely you can do better can't be right like this just doesn't this isn't it and that like first off having my first son was context to life but then that was just like everything i'm doing is to you know i'm focusing on the wrong things right or not maybe not that I'm spending too much time focusing on certain things aren't as important as other, as other things. And yeah, so when you when something hits you that you're just like, I don't have any control over that, it sucks. <laughs> just, like you have to move on, you know, and obviously my wife is supporting me and, and vice versa. And, and this is not an uncommon story, right? Like plenty of people go through. Can, can I just say, I love that you said that your wife was supporting you. That was the, like, well, like no, I, which is, just, <laughs> just, <laughs> thank goodness, because I, I was a mess. <laughs> no, I, was sit- no. <laughs> I was sitting there in the, the room, my wife, you know what I mean? And I was I a mess, and my wife was like. on this show. I can't, not again. I can't, not again. are you all right? Your wife says, she's like, look, it's terrible, but are you all right, baby? <laughs> no, but I mean, it's. Just, I'm saying we're supporting each other. Like I know, but it's fun. But that's yeah. all I can do. Like I'm just sitting there, but it's it's hollow. And yeah. th- like again, it's that you can't do anything, and it's something so important that you take for granted. It's just going to be fine. And so, you know, that for me is like one time in my life. But but some people have a series of those before they even hit ten years old. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> and so like I, you know. You, you, that's where I try and I'm like, I just, you and you said it before, like you can never understand because you haven't been through it. But, you know, that's just that one event in my life where I'm just like, everything, you know, everything you do doesn't like, how, you just, so it doesn't matter. Cause like in the grand scheme of life, like these things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think, um, when we're in the hospital, uh, this, this, I read this, this little kid, um, said, uh, you know, we all think we're superheroes, and I was like, yeah. is it not like not like um, Superman? But we all think we're superheroes, like we're going to be here tomorrow. And I was like, yeah. And this kid had cancer and died and stuff. And it was like, it's like, yeah, we think we're going to be here tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We think that you know, we this is this is permanent. You know, like this is going to go. This is going to work out. We always think it's going to work out. And we always think it's going to work out. We always have that belief. And, and this little kid, obviously, who had terminal cancer, had worked out that uh, this didn't work out the way I thought it would. You know what I mean? Like, um, and, and, and again, um, there's always stories about people like that who, who have a, uh, a terminal illness and you know, a death sentence and they know the end is coming, that um, you know, they often enjoy life more than, than people who who have, you know, infinite, oh, sorry, have the impression that they're going to be there forever because they know. Oh, once they find out here, like, is a limited they, time? Well, they have choices, don't they? Yeah, yeah. No, we, isn't it interesting that we live that way, though? Like, I mean, it's, death is the ultimate reality. You know, the, every single soul will taste death. There is it's the absolute only certainty in life. But every single one of us somehow feels as though it's, it's never going to be tomorrow. Like, Or us. Yeah, it's never gonna be me. Uh, I'm dude, not gonna you die. You got this feeling somehow this is gonna go on forever. Yeah. 
it's it's crazy. You know, speaking of sick kids, I, I've never had experience in my life with no kids with cancer or anything like that until about four weeks ago. And a brother let me know about another brother who was in the Mata Children's with a three-year-old son, Afghan, with terminal cancer, and invited me to go meet him. And I thought, oh, this is going to be heavy, you know? And uh, I went in, I met the boy, you know, and for the last year, 18 months, he'd been in hospital full-time. The father was living in the hospital room with the son. When I say living, I don't mean come and go, living, sleeping on the mattress next to the window, um, full, full-time. And so when the baby was like, you know, a year old and a bit, they found a tumour here and then they took that and there was a tumour here and then... You know, so when I met the boy, he was like, he could sit up, he couldn't walk, but he had, you know, lost his hair with the chemo. He'd been through everything and they decided like that week there was no more. And and so he was able to play and interact with me. We had a good time, you know, when we had the same haircut and I showed him that, you know, eventually we were, we were having fun. And then I went back three days later, he couldn't really open his eyes. I went back the day after that, worse and worse and the swelling. And, and, and then, yeah, he died a week, about 10 days later. You know what? It was in what what I really learned from that. Like, I'm happy for the boy, in the in in the sense that our faith dictates, and I think all faiths dictate that innocence goes to beautiful place forever. Like heaven's written for him. There's no sin. His book of deeds isn't even open. So, from the moment he closed his eyes and his soul left his body, he he's sweet. But the ones that are left behind, you know. Uh, you know, we can learn from and or we worry for. Um, but his dad, you know, like I meet a lot of people like every day I get, I'm meeting people going through things with addiction, guys getting out of jail, this, that, like all sorts of problems. I work for a charity where we've got people that can't pay their rent, refugees, you know, um, on visas that don't allow them to like work. And so they got to get a Red Cross and get 400 bucks a month. Like all sorts of different people. I know really rich people who are doing really well, successful business people. You know what's crazy? Like the last thing in the, in the world that any person would want for themselves would be to have a child that was sick and dying and to go through that process and to lose them. But interestingly enough, of all the people I've met in a really long time, the person who was most at peace is the father of this boy. He, his faith and his surrendering to um, his helplessness. We say, inna lillahi wa inna ilahi rajiun. From God we come and to him we return. And the father was consoling me. I'm there holding the kid's hand, crying. And the father's saying, alhamdulillah. You know, like, which means, thanks God. He goes... My son's health, his sickness, his life, his death is in God's hands. He doesn't belong to me. He belongs to God. And he's going back there. Alhamdulillah. You know, and it just, the, the word Islam, people say it means peace. It doesn't. It means surrender or submission. And I learned through that experience, through the Father, what that submission and surrendering looks like, which is what you're talking about, which is just understanding that there is the uncontrollable that's in God's hands and the the best way through those things is just to surrender to it and understand that I'm helpless and to find peace in that somehow, you know? Um, but yeah, that was that was a new thing for me. I'm still unpacking it. I think I'll yeah, spend I, years unpacking it, but to I be just, honest. But I think that, like, just tying back to when you went to that dark place, like surrendering yourself to 
Yeah, was there surrender in that? Like when the with the media and stuff, was there surrender to God and surrender to, hey, look, I'm just gonna keep trudging forward, or you didn't have that, I guess, inside at that time? It happens. I've got like what on paper it's called like extreme distress intolerance. That would probably mean more to you than it does to me. Like it's like a, a psychiatric thing or whatever. Like any negative emotion, people with distress intolerance don't cope well with certain negative emotions or all of them. And for me, across the board, whether it's sadness, anger, frustration, all those things are extremely difficult for me to. Um, I'm with you. You with me on that? <laughs> I, don't, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I'm, I'm all the way there. I'm like it's, it's fire in my head and it sucks. But then <coughs> what do you do? You've got to get through it. And I pray and pray and pray and I pray extra. And, it, you know, it's like a lot of the time I ask the question, why? You know, why am I going through this? What's going on? But when things are good, my prayers are like ritual Sometimes, you know what I'm saying? I'm praying because I have to, I'm obliged to. Thank you for giving me life. This is something like I owe. But it's not done with beauty, with uh, uh, what we call khushur, with sincerity, with focus. But when things are bad, man, my conversations with God are like, they're on a different level. And we believe that, you know, like that's what he, how he wants us to communicate. Mm. So like, I get it. I understand why I keep getting having the negative things happening and being put in that place because it refocuses me on him properly, mm. you know? Mm. I, I, I just think that's powerful. Like, you know, like, like the, the, as much as the father surrendered, but also realising that that adversity brings you closer to who you are and then your relationship with God mm. is mm. powerful as well and just offers people a way to work their way out of difficult situations if they choose to. Uh, rather than feeling helpless, no, you can work out what's going on with yourself and with your relationship with God if that's, um, you know, the way you want to go. But with yourself at the very minimum and then how do you walk your way out? That's pretty, I think it's really powerful. That's all. I think that's, a you know, on the topics we're talking about, being in um, prisons or being in situations where you feel trapped, you are the only answer to get out. You know I mean, mm. you have you got to find the answer within yourself to find a way to get out and as you said, like, and God's obviously the easiest way to do that in the sense that um, you can have really passionate, thoughtful, honest, truthful conversations with God. But all God's going to teach you is to surrender to God anyway. That's right. Look, God transcends all other reasons. Like, if my reason for improving myself is my wife and is my wife who I love, and then she cheats on me and leaves me, now what's my reason? You know what I mean? I've got to have something that outlasts everything and everyone because everything and everyone in this world is temporary. Every single person that you love is going to leave you or you're going to leave them. You know, so if 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 it's if he's the ultimate reason, it's the only thing that's 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 always there, you know. Mm, mm. Got to have something bigger than, than just the, the, what we call the dunya, the life of this world because it's, it's it's all going, it's all leaving us, you know. Man, you guys are. You're in the same place. Don't pretend that you can sit there and you, you don't understand a, you a single thing. Given a lot, yeah. You're just sitting there being quiet about it, and I'm leaving you alone. But you know exactly what we're talking about. Uh, You've been through some that. very dark situations, some very emotionally challenged situations. But it's it's nice to hear from others and how they. I'm running through it in my head. Oh, okay, I remember that time or whatever where I needed to talk to myself and I remember 
talking to God with more intent and more sincerity. And then uh, I've had times where, you know what, was, I, had, I had a birthday recently. Your and personal I, birthday? My personal birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you, I appreciate it. 24. Uh, <laughs> again. 22. Again. 22. 22. <laughs> again. Well, I, was 20, yo, Dave, I was 22 again, dog. Yo, man. <laughs> these, these new. Yeah, yeah. Those teeth are perfect. Oh, man. Back then. Uh, when 12 a.m. hit, I thought I was going to. I didn't know what I was going to do anyway, but I decided to just listen. It was quiet. I'm by myself, and I. Decided to just pray, right? And I thought it would be to ask for more things because I want more things. You know what I mean? I'm I like, I'm, I'm, I want to love. You're a materialistic guy. I love more. You know, I want to love more. <laughs> like things. toys. <laughs> I like. I like. Things. I'm not gonna judge you. <laughs> uh, but for some reason, I I gave a lot of thanks. That was overwhelming. I felt felt great. I gave a lot of thanks for the good and the bad and the things I don't have yet. I don't know if I'm gonna have. I don't know if I'm be it tomorrow. It was just like, man, man, thank you. It was just like a being grateful. It was just it was it, it felt really good. Um, joy? Did you feel joyful? Like 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 that joy? You know that sense when yeah. you like when you actually just stop and appreciate how lucky you are just to breathe. Oh man, it, like was that? And it wasn't in the most beautiful setting. I just I was alone anyway. But You'd be I f- anywhere, right? <laughs> I don't know what you mean, but but <laughs> we could all be anywhere. Yeah, but that's my point. You could be yeah, anywhere. I could, like, it like, could be any. I, yeah, it could be worse. It could be worse. It could be better. And the kind of the thing I was like, well, when it does get better, or which I hope it does, um, I'm gonna miss this feeling probably, or this setting. Yeah, this part of the journey. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna look back and be like, damn, I miss riding my bike. I wasn't here. I had that no moment. car at the moment. <laughs> well, yeah, I missed that. I missed such and such. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. I, so I was like, thank you for now and whatever is about to happen. And that felt good. But it's nice to hear from from from, from older people who've experienced uh, that maybe more often or on a deeper level or know how to articulate it. It's nice to hear. So I, I want to shut up and just listen, you know? And I'm so grateful for the people who get to, I'm happy someone might get to listen to this and get some sort of guidance from it in some way. Because I want to ask, we talk about after, how the hell do we, I feel sorry for you you two, especially. Why do you feel sorry for me? You have to help people. I'm, I'm perfect. You don't have to help. Because we're not tall. I don't help anyone. Because yeah. I'm not tall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you're taller than I am. I'm yeah, not yeah. tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you too, Chad. I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you guys are in a position to help people and you're expected to. And you have to do it unconditionally. And I don't have to help anyone. You don't have to. You no. choose to. It's, and it's, I, I don't even loss. choose to. It's got nothing to do with me. <laughs> I just, I just, honestly, like, I, I'm not looking to help anyone. I just think that. I made a decision a long time ago. If anyone needs help, then the answer is yes. It's in the previous episodes. Go look at that. He's yeah, yeah, there. absolutely. Like that's that was a, like I don't I don't see myself as doing good deeds. I see myself as doing what I'm meant to be doing, and so I'm not looking to help people. But if um, if someone walks in and they're like, "Hey, look," you know, even if they don't ask, they kind of just know. So what do you say before they 
Damn, I guess they have to experience. But what do you say before they get to those? You're welcome. Crossroads. No, not the good part. When they, the young brothers you meet who, before they, I don't know, do you meet any young kids before they go in who aren't even in there yet? I'm, I'm saying I'm asking this selfishly because I've, I've had, I've had. No, but you're already, you're already helping them, or you're already helping them by just being in their presence. Ah, but always so, feels like fuck. I could have done. No, you, well, but you said can't because they're not ready. So we're talking about people who've been in jail for a whole bunch of time, and they're going to go back in because they're not ready to be out, mm. right? So you can, you can, all you can do is be there, show them love, be kind, um, be all those things with your energy and your support, and be you. Mm. And then, if they want to engage in that, they will. And if they don't, they won't. But you're there regardless. So as long as you're that person, you're helping. As long as you are who you are, you're helping. Because there's no way to there's no way to to count. There's no there's no way to measure um, the things people haven't done, the mistakes people haven't made because of the positive influence you've given them. And you have no idea. You have, you no, have idea. no idea about the things that you've done for someone ever. You know what I mean? Like, like you said to me, like, I was like, oh, I'm ha- I've had enough of this. And you're like, Kieran, man, you don't know how much you've helped people in your job. And I'm like, I have no idea. I was shocked when you were shocked that I said that. I was no, like, I was shocked. Me. You're the first person to ever tell me that I'd help people. I couldn't believe and, that. And I was sitting there going, thank you, because I actually needed someone to tell me that. Mm. And, and I had no idea because I was just doing what I thought was necessary. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's everybody. So as long as you're you and you do things with that love and that kindness, you, you have no idea about how you're influencing and helping people and, and you don't have to know because you're just doing it, doing you, like by being that person. Mm. And so I think if you flip it and you try to measure all the times you help people, then, then you get caught up on that. Am I doing enough? Am I doing yeah, too little? Yeah, yeah, and then you're not helping people anyway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. Like you never know and I think that's also the, the, the magic. You know, you don't know how don't, that's going to expand. and um, That's the point of the podcast anyway. That's the point of what we're Oh, I was just about to say, this is the the epitome of the podcast. We've had, but this, thank you guys for, for sharing and coming, but this is, we, I don't think we came with any answers or found, or came to an understanding, but the the bouncing off the the ideas off each other or the the feelings or whatever and just sharing that that's the the search right <laughs> I guess the it's the whole point of this thing mm-hmm. um and and I was like man let me find a fun question God leave this is getting something let me find something I texted him yo give it give it something fun <laughs> but uh now nah, so but I so I'll just end on this uh, we're not end on I'm, I'm Put w- one last question out there. Um, uh, the last question I want to end is, is, is what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? I've got everything I ever wanted. Oh, God. <laughs> what do you want, Jared? What do you want, Jared? What do you want? NBL won championship. <laughs> That'd be nice. Probably not going to get it with this guy next to me. <laughs> we need, we I'm retired. We need to get a new input. We need to get a new, <laughs> anyway. new three-four man. <laughs> I'm retired anyway. I'm done. <laughs> Shout out to the Caps. I love you guys. Thank you for uh, everything. No, I think like, you know, I, I've been going through some some changes. I always thought that I wanted to 
do certain things that were more material and still do. <laughs> um, but I want to give back to the community in any way that I can. And for me right now, I think that's just through basketball coaching. So at high school level, community level, wherever. Um, and just try and find ways to help people that have a scratch, you know, an itch that they want to scratch, just do that. Um, yeah, I think it's, I guess the more I've gone on, the more I've looked at, like, what, you sort of ask that question, like, what, is, is there something more to life? Like, I know when I first started with my wife, you know, we were going, like, mid-20s. It's like, we're not going to have kids, we're not going to have kids, we're not going to have kids. Mm. But then, for us, it was just, like, a routine. It's like, we, if, if that was all, it's not that it was bad, but it just felt like it's actually easy. Like, what we're doing now is easy. Mm. She, she had a good job, I had a good job. We could go where we wanted to go. We could do what we wanted to do. Um, and that kind of, you know, then we're like, okay, no, we actually do. I guess when we came to the conclusion, we do want a kid. So that, I think, I think those, I don't know if you have the, I don't have the answer yeah. today. Because yeah. sometimes, every every now and then I just go, I, I want to try this. Or I want to do this. Um, sometimes I want to do it just to see if I can. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I really, you, you get, like, the more you look back on life, and it's really cliche, right? Like, you don't necessarily remember wins or losses on the basketball court, but you remember, like, moments with teammates or with a team, like, particular moments. And that A minus. Yeah. one A minus. If it's in the classroom, you might... But you might remember, you remember different West things, Worst grade right? ever, Darren ever got was an A-. He'll never forget <laughs> it. But he didn't study. He was at the bar every night and he just sat for the exam. But you know what you don't forget? You don't, you don't forget that moment that, you know, my friend's at the bar. Like, mm. that, that was important. So like, he's still thinking about the A. Exactly. You're not thinking about those times on <laughs> no, no, the no, bar. It was a mistake. <laughs> you guys are great, yeah. but that was a mistake. So that was a mistake. Yeah, I shouldn't have hung out with you, mother. Exactly. <laughs> you exactly. So no, I just think like for me that question, like the goalpost is always moving. But you know, right now, like I want to try and be more involved. So like one way for me to do that is to go back to Padua where I had an excellent experience growing up and try and Work provide an experience for other people. Yeah. You know, and I'm not. As a coach, winning and losing is real simple. Like you, the exam is forty minutes or thirty-two minutes, and they play them in a quarters. It's finite, but it's it's not really about the wins and losses for me as much as it's like growth, development, fostering the school community. Yeah. Like give your sevens a chance to mingle with your twelves. Like because again, everyone goes through. Like high, high school is actually really hard for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. You know, where you put a bunch of people that are all very different and they go and do things. You think about, it, like, as soon as you leave high school, if you if playing card games, you're saying you go play cards with people. You don't yeah. you don't have to sit with other people every day. You, yeah. know? <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to mingle like that. Mm. So for me, it's like if we have if we can create a community where people are relying on each other and feel more comfortable. Year seven feels comfortable. Go talk to your eleven, your twelve, whatever. We're fostering community that way. That would be awesome. So that's that's kind of like what a goal of mine is right now you know in addition to like family husband, be a fantastic son, father like oh, you're trying so to do yeah, all that yeah, but like you know i want to do that loving husband then you're trying to set an example for yeah. your son like what here's what i think is important yeah you know so i mean stop teaching him to be a bully a let me just answer. let me just slide that in there stop teaching him to, to be bullying people <laughs> <laughs> you know the first thing he said when he met me bro? what did he say 
Oh my god, you're bald. I'm like, is he bald? I'm yes. like, that's really. <laughs> you're you're all right. You're smart. I, I, you're like, smart I like. I like. Kid, I, the yeah. first thing he said, he looked at you and yeah. went, "You're bald." You're bald. And you're, and, and you're like, "Damn, that's yeah. cold." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Man. How can you see the top of my head from there? Yeah, yeah, he could have said, "You have really nice teeth." Could have said that. He just he just watched Space Jam. So Do you remember what Malachi said the first time he saw? I think it was you. What did he say? You're black. You're dark. He's dark. <laughs> Why is that guy black? <laughs> Why is he in a house? <laughs> <laughs> Long time at the beach. <laughs> I said that's a good question. It's not oh, That's the that's the correct oh, answer. Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> okay. Well, that's awesome. Thank you for that. What else? Thank you. What? what, what, what yeah. Go want? around. Go around the hall. Karen gave a one word answer. Good job. Yeah, Karen. We got to go back you. to KB. No, you man. Don't, oh, no. yeah. I want to face. Yeah. 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 Okay. After you. <laughs> Let me think. Let me think. I don't have any. You want to think? What do I want? That's a previous episode. We've talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. What did you say in the previous episode? Things haven't changed. You have to cast your mind back. What do we want? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I know. Anyway. Let me think. Robbie, you're up. <laughs> what do I want? Uh, I want to meet God in a state that he's pleased to meet me and I'm pleased to meet him. I want to go to heaven and I want the people I love I want to help the people I love get there. I want to help heal people while I'm while I'm on this earth. I want to help people find peace and find a relationship, their own relationships with God. Hmm. Um, something I pray for all the time is I say, God, just you just you choose whatever path is most pleasing for you, to you for me. And just place contentment in my heart with whatever that whatever that is. But just choose something good and noble for me. So I don't have like, I got ideas of general goals. I'd like to open up a rehab center that helps men heal and 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 find themselves and um, give sons back to their families. You know, I wanna, I want my mom to feel respected and loved by me properly in in a as she deserves to before she dies i want to i want i want to do be a better son become a better son um be a better husband be a better brother be a be, just just be better but yeah heaven's it for me man like that's that's where i want to go you know absolutely absolutely it's pretty good he's still he's still ducking the questions yeah you're still ducking the question what do i want Why are you thinking, real quick? We had a story. Just why are you okay, thinking? Okay. The Caps recently season is finished. Yeah, yeah. The team was supposed to think of gifts to give. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and asked me for a week. First time he asked me, what do you think Kieran would want? Is it telling Bailey's? I know. What are Bailey's? <laughs> Alcohol. Oh, nice. You gonna throw that shit away? Anyway. I give it to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man! Like, 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 like what he wants, right he wants alcohol. <laughs> that is the right answer. That's the right answer. What does Kieran want? Give whatever, him a four X, whatever, man, whatever his buddy. wife wants. Yeah. Bailey, <laughs> another drink. <laughs> and I thought a week later, and uh, 
I have my. Did you tell them? I just want them all to enjoy basketball I, I, and be I happy. Think of like a book or something, but but like uh, so they, he they, wants you all to be happy and get on with each other. And get on, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that? yeah that's the one thing I should have said that. <laughs> but I know I'm not the only one who would want to ask you this question. So please answer. Come on, what <laughs> that, I, that's what, what the story was. What what I was I would, if you had what asked, you I would say I would have wanted you all to get on with each other and enjoy basketball <laughs> and and improve. That's yes. what I would want. Yes, yes. But and his second answer is Bailey's, and third answer not for them, not for your wife. <laughs> the what, do you the <laughs> what do you want? What do you want? For you, I, I got everything. I got everything I wanted out of that. Out of that, yeah. I learned about myself. I learned about basketball. I learned no, about people. About bas- the basketball season. It's bigger than that. No, no, no. Not talking about the basketball season or your wife or your kids <laughs> or nothing. What about you? What do I want? What do you want? I, I I don't want for anything. Anything I've wanted, I've always gotten. So why would I want for anything? Like I literally get whatever I want. So I don't understand what your question is. Yeah, you gotta, you He's better than all of us, yeah, guys. Yeah, so get this guy out of here, man. <laughs> Turn this shit off, man. Like, look at this guy, man. Like, like, but it's like, like you know, like you wanna you wanna meet God. God's right there. You know, you wanna you wanna feel love. Love's right there. I, I, could, I could order something. You want to buy something? You can buy it. Like what? What? Like why would I want for something? I just make it happen. Like do it. Make it happen. Mm. What do you want? Like what? What, no, should, what, what answer would make that you happy? That was great. No, that was great. That was great. That was, great. That was just that yeah, was surrounded by good people. Yeah, for real. Yeah. yeah. I actually don't know what I want. I have no idea what I want because I literally, that you know, cool. like it's a bit morbid. Like I'm, I'm happy with what I got. Very cool. Man, let me end on. Yeah, I wish you had the speaker. But anyway, thank you guys so much, Robbie. Thank you. Forever grateful that you took your time out to, to come out here, man. It's great to meet you and talk with you. It's yeah. great to meet you. It's yeah. a pleasure meeting you. And yeah, man, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. That's my brother. Word, appreciate thank you. you, you know? so Make sure you say hello to the boys inside. That'd be uh, yeah. yeah. Yes, please. Yes, very please. cool. Yeah, I yes, will 100. percent I'll pass the love. As I said, that yeah, they, they were speaking very highly of you. You know, so. Uh, you are making a difference, so. Appreciate it. Well, you know, always welcoming back with open arms. Yeah. Ask her about the donkey. Okay. Oh, yes. Yes, <laughs> please, please. Say, do. say, say, Kieran, I'll ask Kieran, say, hey. Um, <laughs> Kieran said to ask you about the donkey. Tell yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing weird about it, nothing like that. But, no, nothing uh, weird, nothing weird. Nothing weird. <laughs> nothing weird we say a lot of weird things on this podcast. Yeah, yeah but this that was not weird. Nah. It was just, it was just. This was not a joke. This is just like, it's yeah. sincere. We went on a basketball trip and basketball. there was a, there was a, at a farm, we said a home today and there was yeah. a donkey there. There was and, some uh, lipstick. Yeah. Whatever you guys are thinking, you guys are all creeps. Jared, thank Thank you so much, man. I'm good. Another, another, another good day. Another good day. And thanks to everyone tuning in. Subscribe, like, all that, and keep searching. God bless. God bless. Search this podcast. I'm gonna leave you guys with a little song. I want to give you some good, good loving. Oh, I, oh, I, oh, I. Yeah, I want to give you some good, good loving. Turn your lights down low Never, never try to resist Oh no Oh, let your love come shining in Into our lives
uh-uh Loving you is like a song I replay Every three minutes and thirty seconds of every day And every chorus was written for us to recite Every beautiful melody of devotion every night This potion might, this ocean might Carry me in the wave of emotion to ask you to marry